Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. And we are back for another episode. What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? You know who it is. You know what it is. An Immigrant's Life at Instagram, Facebook, all platforms. And, uh, oh, by the way, for the iPhone listeners... I'd appreciate it if you could give me a five-star rating. Also, if you could leave me a quick positive review, that I'd appreciate that because that really helps the podcast and it'll boost us up. You know what I mean? And I want to take advantage of this time and I want to say thank you for the listeners that I've been seeing pretty much all over the world. Uh, we've got listeners obviously here in Canada, U.S., Qatar, Brazil, there's some in Spain, and different parts of the world. Hey, thank you for listening. Thank you for following. Uh, reach out, man. If you want to say hi, I would love to hear from you, how you liking the podcast, any input, anything like that. I'd appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to check in on you. How are you guys doing? How are you dealing with this pandemic? They're rolling out the vaccine in some parts of the world, so... That's a good thing. It's uh, we, We're starting to see the end of the tunnel. But I know some of you are still stressed and, and still struggling how to deal and approach this pandemic. I hope you guys are finding ways to de-stress. Some people like exercising. Some people like reading a book. Some people like going out for a bike ride. If you can do a bike ride or go hiking. Or if like me... Your home feels more like the office, gym, and classroom than it does a home lately. My simple trick to bring calm into my space is to light candles. But did you know traditional paraffin wax candles are toxic and harmful to your health? That's why I use Driftwood Naturals 100% soy candles. You can fully relax with therapeutic essential oil scents. Plus, you'll rest easy knowing your family and home are safe with natural, clean, burning candles. Canadian-made, vegan, and eco-friendly. This is a product you can feel good to have in your home. For a limited time, my Canadian listeners can take an additional 10% off. You'll pay no taxes and get free shipping on orders over $80. Use promo code AIL. One zero on driftwoodnaturals.ca. Hurry offers expires April 6. Driftwood Naturals, lighting the path for incredible stories of immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. And that's the business. Let's talk about the episode quickly. The guest for this episode is such an amazing and interesting individual. He's full of positivity and inspiration. He will make you believe that you can do amazing things by you just listening to him. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa Dalawat at Low. I'm grateful to have today's guest. He's a podcaster, a fitness coach, and a mindset coach. He's half Dwayne Johnson and half Dalai Lama. Everyone, <laughs> please welcome Rome Mufalo. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me on your podcast, man. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Rome Fallo. Originally, I'm from Zambia, and then I moved to Canada. I've been living in Canada now for 
13 years. Yeah, I've been living in Canada 13 years, but originally Zambia, uh, moved to Ottawa, now live in Montreal. Mm-hmm. I work as a health and wellness coach. Um, I used to personal train, but I don't personal train anymore, actually. My whole focus is um, on um, nutrition coaching online. And slowly I find myself... <laughs> I find myself branching off into mentoring a lot now because of what I do. I'm, I'm also in network marketing. So I catch myself going into mentoring a lot because mm. of my business. So I coach in new uh, health and wellness, but as well, I also coach in uh, mindset as well because life is all about mindset. That's right. Perfect. We'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you're originally from Zambia. Yeah, originally from Zambia, Lusaka, the capital. How would you describe Zambia to the listeners? It's very friendly. I think people from my country are too friendly sometimes. Like <laughs> I, I, I swear, I tell people this, like if you get on a plane and you say, where should I go? I'm like, just get on a plane to Zambia. And if the person next to you is from Zambia, tell them this. I have, I don't know where I'm going to stay when I get to Zambia and I'm trying to figure it out. 10 out of 10 times, I promise you, they'll probably say, come live with me. Straight really? up. That's how friendly they are. They'll be like, come live with me. Or if not, they'll pull strings for you just to make sure you get the right accommodation. You know, if you meet that bad person next to you in the plane, that means that's just your energy. You attract that negativity. Mm. But overall, Zambia is a very, I think we're too friendly sometimes, way too friendly. Why do you think is that? I think it's cultural upbringing. I think it's how we, we grew up. We have this very strict way of growing up to respect other people. Like as a kid growing from the age of four or five, I knew respect your elders, respect other people. So even just in life in general, whenever I'm around anybody, that inner child comes back where I just respect everybody I'm talking to, especially if they're older than me. They're, I always respect them no matter what. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I did some research, well, Googling about yeah. Zambia because uh-huh. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it said that Zambia is... Tip, like generally a safe country to go to. Yeah, you could say it's it's right now from what I've heard in the news, the politics, mm. it's safe, but not what it used to be from what I've heard people say. Because mm. I haven't been to Zambia in over eight years. Mm. But is it a safe place from what I remember? 100%. Mm. It's a safe place. But like anywhere in the world, there's a little bit of crime, but it's rare that I actually hear somebody has been through something traumatic, like being robbed or something like that. If it does, it's like once every 20 years, you hear something crazy like that. That's amazing. Yeah. So how was it growing up in Zambia for you? Well, I liked it. I loved it. I always say it made me who I am today because when you grow up in Zambia and then you move to Canada, Hmm. it's like coming to a different planet. It's Hmm. two different, it's two different worlds, you know? So growing up in Zambia, I say it made me, Whenever I, uh, that's what I say. Whenever I'm in Montreal and I see someone bitching about life, and I want to complain too, I always stop and say, "Wait a minute." I grew up privileged in Zambia. Fortunately, I grew up on the privileged side, you know, so I didn't grow up poor. But whenever I'm about to bitch, I always stop and I say, "Nah, you shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you need to stop right now." You know, whenever I put bitch about school, like. I grew up in the privileged side of of, uh, of uh, Zambia. Like my parents had money, but mm. you know, some, like we worked with computers, we did all that stuff. So when I hear people complain about stuff, I think growing up in Zambia has made me become more grateful, more appreciative of life. That's like beautiful. I don't take it for granted as much anymore. I'm very like, okay, I, I want to bitch. Things are not good, but I close my eyes and I look. Oh, when I grew up, this happened. I remember that situation in school. Let me let me just shut up. Mm. That's that's how I am. What kind of situation in school was it? 
Let me think. Because primary school is good. Like, there's nothing. Let's see. If I had to go, let's say, uh, middle school. Um, middle school was, was good. But there's those little things that you, you never notice, right? Like, growing up, in, growing up, when you grow up in Zambia, you know, um, what people here take for granted. Like, for example, in Zambia, using computers, we had a lot of computers in the classroom, but we'd be like three people on one computer. I come here, if two people are using one computer, they get mad. How come I can't have my own computer? But for us, like for three of us in the computer, no big deal, you know? It is what it is. But here, people show up at school, they get mad at that. You know, mm-hmm. little things like that. So if, if you had asked me that, it's just, I think when you grow up in Zambia and you come to Canada, it's two different worlds that that's normal to us. Mm. That when you come here, when people complain about stuff that you never complained about, stuff that you wanted, it's like, why are you complaining? That's, that's how I look at stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you're complaining about your car that you can yeah. actually drive? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you're oh, you're about complaining your about your your apartment that's actually yeah. safe? There's no bed bugs? Yeah. Like, I remember one time I was with a friend. I, I was talking to somebody one time and I said, you know where you live right now as a teacher? If you, no, I said to someone, if you go to Montreal North, I'm talking the worst part of Montreal North, mm. and you got a teacher who was, the, let's say, um, in one of the poor parts of Zambia, and you brought them to Montreal North, and you didn't tell them this was the, the hood, 10 out of 10, they would love it. <laughs> to them, they will be like, oh, I can't believe this is where, they'll be like sending pictures to their family, when they see other people in the streets, they'll be like, I don't get it. They'll be the most positive person, because to them, it's like, oh, you think you're suffering? Okay, let me take you where I'm from as a teacher. <laughs> living in a mud hut, living with only one bathroom, whatever it is. I always tell people that, like, you have no idea. You just, you got to be grateful. I love it. I love what you said there, because you know that saying, I'm not saying the song, uh, New York, New York by Frank yeah. Sinatra, the, yeah. if you make it here, you can make it anywhere. Really? Have you been to Zambia? Have you been to exactly. the Philippines? We'll exactly. see. 100%, bro. 100%. I agree with you. That's funny. So, you mentioned that you guys were well-to-do in Zambia. Mm-hmm. However, you still moved to Canada. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was done in high school, my mom asked me, uh, where do, what do you want to do? Where, where do you want to go? I planned to stay in, in, uh, in Africa because I'll say, okay, well, the universities in Zambia are not that good, you know, but South Africa, which is like two-hour flight away, they were much better. So my whole thing was, well, I'll just go to South Africa because I love South Africa. I've been there many times, you know, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful country. So my original plan was to move to South Africa, stay close to home, and that was it. But I was, at the time, I was, what, 19? My mom, she saw, I always say, my mom is a visionary. She, she can see stuff, you know? So she says, no, 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 you're not staying in Africa. You're going to go a different part of the world so you can explore different cultures. So mm. as a kid, I'm like, okay, so where do I go? And she's like, like I said, my parents had money. So my dad said, wherever you want to go, I'll pay. So I had England, which is an option. My, my what brother is was coming there. to America movie or what? <laughs> kind of <laughs> close, but I had family in England. My brother sister lived there, but I wasn't as close to them. And I was like, England, I don't know. It just never appealed to me. Australia, I had family there. I was like in the middle of nowhere. Maybe I could go there. USA, thank God I never went there with what's happening. <laughs> but I almost did. I was literally, I was like the USA. I'm like, but when I heard Canada. I, it was something about Canada I can't describe. I had a friend who was here, and I was always like looking at his pictures on back in the day. If you remember with High Five before Facebook, yes, yeah, I was always watching his clips. Snow. I'm like, I want to go to Canada, but there was an energetic pool that brought me to Canada. Mm. So when people say, "Why did you come here?" I'm like, I don't know. Like I had all these options. My dad had the money, 
So I just chose Canada, flew here. And like I said, my mom said, I want you to move to a different part of the world so you can see different culture. It could have been China for all I know, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what made me come to Canada mm-hmm. with my mom, actually. When you moved to Canada, who did you stay with? Oh, when I moved, I, I lived on residence when I moved to Canada. What is that? Uh, like, you know, uh, do- dormitories, like where you come in, t- yeah, where you get to college, like you have a dormitory where you can stay and sleep. Oh. So it's, it's called a residence. Oh, so you went to school and stayed in the dormitory? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you were 19. So you were by yourself, you said, right? Yeah, I came here by myself. I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa. How did that work? Like, they contact the school and then somebody pick you up at the airport or...? They could have. They could have. It's just when I when I chose to when I chose to move to here, my friend was already in Ottawa. Mm. So at the airport, they had the option like we could arrange someone picks you up. But I was like, it's, it's all good. My friend, actually one of my my childhood friends, lived in Ottawa. Mm. So I'm like, of course he's gonna pick me up. So I got to the airport. He picked me up, and then he helped me shop, settle down, everything. Mm, that's amazing. At least some mm. there's someone with you. And he went to the yeah. same school. No, 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 he went to a different school. Oh, okay, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So. How did you feel when you landed and those first day being in Canada? First thing I said when I landed, uh, I remember I came from Germany, the plane was coming and all I knew about Canada, because they don't, well, back then, 13 years ago, they never taught you much about Canada besides this wheat and it's cold. That's it. <laughs> you know, that's all I swear to God, that's all I knew. But the USA, I knew a lot about it because of hip hop, TV. Mm-hmm. So when I touched down, I touched down in Montreal the first time. And I remember just looking outside and I said, why is it so white? Because I'd never seen snow before. I'd never seen snow. And I remember looking at cars and those like white things drop, uh, dropping off the cars. Mm-hmm. I couldn't comprehend that that was snow. <laughs> like, that, like that was ice, you know? I knew it was snow, but I was like, why does it look like that, you know? But I was like, okay, whatever, you know? So my fr- so I catch the flight from Montreal to Ottawa. Uh, my friend picks me up. And then from there, went to the bar and everything. But I remember, I remember when I sat, because he picked me up, we get in the bus to like going now, you know, to his place. It didn't sink in that I was in Canada. It's like, mm. I'm here, but there was no like aha moment. Mm. It was just like, okay, I haven't seen this guy in over four years. I'm in Canada. Okay, let's just, for me, I was like a party. My parents are far away. I'm 19. I'm <laughs> by myself. I have $3,000 in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Let's go. That's amazing. So you seem like a positive guy, but I'm sure you were homesick too. Never. Never. I was, I've, I, I wanted to leave so bad at one point because I remember as I was getting older, I was like, I want to leave. Like, you know, I, like, I, I love Zambia, but all my friends were leaving. I had no friends left. Mm. Like, my friend went to England, went to the USA, went to Australia. So when I left, I missed my family, of course, a little bit. But I, want, I, I wanted to leave so bad because I always tell one of my friends, this, I was like, I feel like I was born in Africa, but in my past life, I lived in North America. So when I came here, it was like, I... I don't think I ever got homesick. Really? Like, I don't remember ever going through a phase of sadness. Like, I was like, okay, I'm good here. I never got homesick. Wow. So you were, you felt at home instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And when I moved here, I made friends right away. Because at the, at the college I went to, there was a lot of people from Zambia going there. Mm. So, like, I'm talking the first day I was there. Like, I saw a guy and I'm like, he's definitely from Zambia. <laughs> you can smell like, I him. <laughs> I, I, heard, I heard him talk. I'm like, you're from Zambia. He's like, you too? I'm like, party let's go oh by the way another guy another guy another guy whoa we're like we're like 15 of us cool party yeah so it's pretty cool so i I never felt homesick though but obviously as life has it those guys are not really my close friends i made other friends that's awesome so 
you went to that school. Did you finish it? Yeah, yeah, I finished everything. I, I finished with a uh, master's and yeah. What was it? What All did you take? Uh, business, but I majored in human resources. Mm, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Which is the worst thing of my life. Why? It's the worst thing. Because I, I don't like, I never liked school as a kid growing up. Mm. I just, I came to, okay, I, I was always the athlete growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to play sports. So my mom always had a different future for me. <laughs> so myself uh, as a kid, you know, I should have played professional soccer. I should have been going to Europe. But my mom saw me as a banker, you know, making, you know, go to school, graduate, get a job. Professional. So, yeah. So when I went, when, when I went to, um, when I went to school, I graduated, but I hated it. Like I hated waking up every day to go to school. But at the time, this is life. And I always used to say to myself, like, this is life. Like you just got to get up and go to school and I hate what I do. I hate studying. Like I, I genuinely hate studying. I'm, if you tell me to study right now, it's like pulling teeth, but I had to do it, you know? Yeah. And then I graduated. So, which was, I was happy, but end of the day, like I, I, I didn't even use the, the degree I had because mm. I, I got it. I got a good job. And then fast forward, another job appeared that I liked, which paid less, but was what I liked doing fitness. Mm. I took that job right away. Oh, was that in Ottawa or? Ottawa. Okay. Why did you move to Montreal? Well, thing is, Ottawa, I was in a relationship for seven, eight years. Yeah, seven, eight years. And then I remember with my ex was sitting down at the time. I met her when I was 19. So I think we broke up when I was like 26 at the time. And I remember saying to her, I feel like, no, I remember saying to myself, like I said, it to, you know, when you've been in a relationship from 19, when, when, you, when you're just becoming a man, let's put it like that, and 26, I, I, that's what I always tell guys, don't date from 19, 26, have fun, <laughs> get that shit out of your system. Mm -hmm. But I was in a relationship, which is fine, you know, but I started to realize that there were certain things I wanted to do that I couldn't do because I was in a relationship mm -hmm. and I didn't want to hurt her. So I'd go out with my friends and there's girls coming, but mm, I got a girlfriend, I can't, I can't be a bad boy, mm -hmm. you know? And I said to feel like, you know what, I love this girl, but I don't want to be that guy at 40 years old or 50 who looks back and says, damn, I missed out on a lot of things, you know? So I, I say to her straight up, I was like, look, I'm always, and by the way, I was coming to Montreal like every weekend just to party with my friends, you know, because they used to drive down. So I say to her, I'm like, look, I love you, but I think I need a break from us. And I think I want to move to Montreal, which is... Uh, because I, I want to pursue my career in uh, health and wellness. Mm. But I think if we break up, it's best to actually move to a different city. Mm. So that's how the transition uh, happened. Because it was either Toronto or Montreal. Now, Toronto was far. I never liked the vibe in Toronto too much. I've been there before. I was like, Man, it's not for me. So Montreal is a no-brainer. So that's how I ended up moving here to pursue my... It, it sounds like I came for girls, but no, no. <laughs> was to pursue my career in health and wellness. And just like, you know what? Let me try a different city. So literally, I was like, okay, Ottawa was not the best platform to grow for what I wanted. Mm. So I chose to move to Montreal. Mm. And you were mentioning uh, health and fitness. You're a jack dude. You're like a truck. Right, not anymore. But <laughs> with COVID, three, two months, no gym, I've lost 12, 13, 14 pounds of muscle. Yeah, but if, let's say I don't know you and we get into a fight, I'm pretty sure you'll kill me. All right? <laughs> I'm a giant. I've never, you know, it's funny. I've never been in a fight before. Oh yeah, wow. Never been in a fight. I've had guy. arguments, but like, like a fist fight, never in my life. I knock on wood. I, I back up. Like I'm, I'm that kind of person. I don't believe in violence. Like you know, fighting, like fight with words. But if it's escalating, I'm like, you know what? It's not worth it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, man. back up. Good for you. Yeah. That's that. That's that Zambia in you. Yeah, we back up. Like, nah. <laughs> that's awesome. 
So you said again, you said um, health and fitness, and you're a trainer. Yeah. When did that start? Oh, I've always, I've always been, I've always loved it. From Ottawa, I was training a few people in Ottawa, and then when I moved to Montreal, it really took off when I came to Montreal. And then I was like, okay, let's get the show started. Why in Montreal it took off? Because now I was like, I was very intentional. This is what I want to do, be a personal, at the time, this is what I want to do, be a personal trainer in Montreal, help people get healthy. Because it's what I did as a kid, you know, I was the athlete. Mm. So for me, it was like, no brainer. Okay, let's be a personal trainer. Uh, okay. Yeah. What do you like about living in Montreal? Besides the women? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, they're true story, The women. <laughs> Everybody tells me, what do you like in Montreal? The women. First thing I always say. Then I'm like, and I, I like the French people. You know, people say the French people are a little bit mean. I'm like, maybe it's your energy. Like, if someone's mean to me, I'm very, I'm just like, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't let it get to me. But I like the people in Montreal. You know, most people that I meet in Montreal are genuine good people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously there's bad people, but I like the women. I like um, the city. It's beautiful, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, every summer when I'm in Montreal in the summer, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, you know you live in a good city when even the Montreal people say, I love Montreal. Mm. That's when you know you're in a good city. So overall, like, I like everything about the city, the people, the vibe, the culture, everything. Yeah, it's beautiful. You mentioned yeah. something about negative energy and negative people. Have you ever suffered from people making you feel unwelcome? Since this movie to Montreal? Yeah. yeah. Even in Ottawa, uh, I guess. Yeah, racism I've experienced in Ottawa. The cops put me over once. I remember that. But, you know, my take when it comes to stuff like that is if the cops pull me over, I'm just quick. Here. Mm. I, I just give them what they want. Mm. Li license, drive. I'm just like, here, yeah. just take it. The sooner I leave, the better. And I believe when you can do it that quick, it breaks their program. They might think, oh, it's a black guy. Maybe I'm going to see something. I'm so quick. I'm like, hi, officer. Uh, thanks for pulling me over. Uh, here you go. And I just wait. Mm. They brought it back. You can go, thank you. And I was out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's how it is. Have I ever felt unwelcome? You know, there's two ways I look at unwelcome. Sometimes that person is just a negative person. <laughs> And there's some people who are, you could call what you call racist, right? Mm -hmm. So have I ever experienced racism in Montreal? I probably have, but I always change my perception and I just say, it's just a negative person. Mm. So I don't say they're racist. They probably are 100%. They probably are some people, but I never, I never focus. I never like say, oh, it's a racist person. I just go like, ah, probably a negative person, whatever. But I've never blatantly felt like actually, yeah, I've never blatantly felt like someone hated because of the way I look. But I, I've, look, I, I think at the end of the day, it will happen where, energy travels so if you walk into a situation and walking in the street you come into a home you might feel unwelcome but like i said myself no not really not that, not that i could remember it might hit me later like oh that one time but i'm the kind of person that lets go of stuff real quick mm. so no not that i could remember like off the top of my head right now mm. do you have friends that are like so i don't know very adamant on yeah there's racism you're not don't let it go do you have friends like that uh, yeah yeah a lot like i know it's there for me too i 100 believe uh racism will never go away that's that's what i say you know that's why i always say unfortunately some people have to be the guinea pigs of uh what racism can do like you know if if, if a cop does something not right uh it raises the awareness let people know like yo, we're human beings as well this is not cool you know mm. so I have, i have a lot of friends who strongly believe in it and I, sometimes i tell them like look 
maybe the person's not racist, maybe they're just negative. Mm, I like that. You know, I always say like sometimes you want to look at it that from that point of view, you know. To me, like I say, if 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 I'm if I met you and you went through a breakup and I asked you for your phone and you're like, bro, I can't help you, it doesn't mean you're racist. <laughs> it means you're going through a breakup, you're pissed off. But see, I could interpret that as you fucking racist prick. I'll keep walking, you know. But the rate that is racism there, hundred mm, percent. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's pivot a little bit. This one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, you mentioned to me that you tried to commit suicide a few times. Yeah, five times. Five times. <laughs> yeah, five times. Clearly, God has a plan for me. Why? What happened? Let's start with the first one. What happened the first one? Oh, simple. I moved to Montreal. Um, no, first of anyone listening to this, anyone listening to this, if you're going to move to a city, <laughs> make sure you got enough money. Eh? But anyway, I, I moved to Montreal to pursue my dream, uh, health and wellness, thought I was going to work, get a job automatically. Didn't go as planned. And then so many negative things were happening at once that I got so overwhelmed. That when you get over, ah, now, see, now to answer your question, yes, I, I did feel homesick when I was going through my depression. Mm. When you're getting overwhelmed with so much negativity, bills coming up, no friends to talk to. And when I moved to Montreal, it was January 2016 or 15 when I moved here. Mm. Like, so it was cold. It was, it was like cold that time, you know? And when it's cold, people get more depressed. There's no sun. You can't go outside. So I remember my first real depression. I had a job. I was working. Uh, I won't say the company name, but I was working for this store downtown. I loved it. You know, it was a good job, but I was really going through so much stress and I didn't speak French. And, you know, I always tell people, be careful the kind of conversations you have with people. So I had this fear in my head, put in my head that if you don't speak French, the French police are going to come after you. The Quebecers <laughs> hate that. But I, I, I was in St. Catherine, Montreal, probably the most English part of Montreal, mm. you know. But I didn't know that, of course, I was new to the city. So I remember one time going into uh, work and feeling all this pressure, like I got to speak French, I'm already anxious. And then my boss was pushing me as well to work hard. So it became so much like you're broke, can't speak French, might get fired, what could happen? No mom, no dad. So it was all this stuff that I remember one day I was driving, I was thinking at the time French classes, by the way, too. I drove home and I go home and I was like, there's no way I'm going to work. I hate my boss and he's a, you know, he's a dick, as I said. And I was sitting there and then this guilt just flooded me all of a sudden and i was looking i was, I was sitting in my house i'm like i can't live no more so mm. true story i actually drove back to ottawa to go beg for my job back like literally on my knees beg for my job back yeah i drove back i, I told my boss i couldn't make it that day i drove back to ottawa i told i went i literally i, I knew everybody in ottawa at the, at the company i worked for i'm like listen man i want to get my job back i hate montreal it's the worst city in the world please take me back and at the time, one of the managers there who could have given me a job was a big dick. Thank God he said, no, I always say. But he says, look, man, even if we do a transfer again, it's going to be a little bit hard. You got to wait maybe a month. I'm like, listen, I'll work anywhere. I don't care how many hours you give me. I have a car. I can drive different parts of the city. I don't care. They said no. And then I was like, fuck. I remember getting into my car and uh, driving back to Montreal. Ooh, and as I was getting the on the day. highway. Same day, yeah. Wow. Two-hour drive. Back and forth. I remember that day I almost drove to my ex's home to like go cry to her. Like, just my <laughs> no, with you. Yeah, but I didn't do that, you know. I remember that time I was driving back to Montreal and I remember I just felt this sense of guilt kicking. I remember I was crying while driving back, come back to um, Montreal. And then I saw a license plate that says, have faith. So, so the weirdest thing, I'm getting on the highway and this car comes in front of me. And then this license plate says, have faith. And the car goes straight. I go off the highway. Mm -hmm. 
And I started crying. I drove. I was like, this is the worst thing. I had a good job in Ottawa. I had a house. I had a girlfriend. I had a dog. I'm so stupid. How could I do this? It was the probably the longest two-hour drive. because I was literally going 80 kilometers an hour. Like, I don't want to get to Montreal. I don't want to get to Montreal. <laughs> I was like, if a truck could hit me, now I'd be happy. Anyway, got to Montreal. I look in my bedroom. I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I can't do this no more. I don't even know where the thought came. Mm. I saw a bottle of wine on the table. I saw a bunch of pills of uh, ephedrine and stuff like that. It makes your heart race. <clears throat> I was like, ah, game over. I'm going to do it. So grab those pills. I was like, ah, whatever. I literally chugged them. I was like, I don't even know how many it was. Ooh. And ephedrine, one ephedrine makes your heart race. Two ephedrine. Three, if you're pushing it. And ephedrine is what they used to make meth, but it's legal in Canada. You can buy it from, from anywhere in the store. Mm-hmm. It's legal. And the, but in the U.S., if they catch with ephedrine, that's 10 years in jail because you can make meth with that, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't illegal, so it was just there. So I remember I bought some meth. Uh, some, some meth. <laughs> I bought some ephedrine, and then um, I just popped them. I don't even know how many I took. But I remember when I was taking them, I had this fear, like, ah, I'm not going to do it. But I took them, chugged the bottle of wine. I just sat there. I was like, all right, anytime now, anytime. Come on, kick it. Heart's going to start racing. And then I had this guilt come over me. And I remember just saying, nah, this is not right. So I went on my phone real quick, found um, suicide prevention line, whatever. Mm. I called up the girl and we're talking on the phone. She was super nice. I probably never meet her. And she's like, where do you live? Like, I can't tell you. But in that moment, you know, she, she was really patient. Whoever she was, she was really patient. Mm. I pretty much said, you know what, fuck it. This is where I live. Come help me, whatever. Yeah, so I heard the ambulance coming and everything. And then I went downstairs. Uh, the paramedics came, like, you okay? Are you Rome? Like, yeah, I'm Rome. Okay, listen, we got to get to the hospital. And that was the first time. Wow. Why did you have the ephedrine? Oh, at the, at the time, okay, I'll give you a little trick in the, in the fitness world. If you want to cheat to lose body fat, but I'm not going to give the antidote. But if you use ephedrine and something and something else, you could drop body fat like that. Mm. so when people say I want to lose body fat I'm like why are you stressing just do this and you'll be good <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it no more if anyone listening I don't even I, I've, I've stayed clean after that I don't t- touch that stuff mm. so you survived that uh, that attempt what happened to the second one you know there's so many I've actually lost track when was the second one second one because I'm trying to think I, I remember my last one okay yeah let's just do the last one then Yeah, the, the last one I was arguing with my ex-girlfriend because I, I went through the, the mental breakdown lasted about two years. Because mm. I remember even seeing a psychologist and I ended up not seeing that person. The second one, I was arguing with my ex-girlfriend about something. And I remember I went to the kitchen. I was so enraged. I grabbed a glass, banged it, grabbed the knife on the kitchen counter. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to stab myself. And I did the up motion and brought it close, but something stopped me. And then I just dropped the knife and I walked out the house and then the police came. I thought I was going to go to jail. <laughs> I was so scared. I'm like, oh my God, what did she tell the cops? But the cops said, listen, sir, um, we, she called us because she thinks uh, she's worried for you. So we, we just got to take you to the hospital to make sure everything's okay. And when I went to the hospital, they checked me out. They're like, this is your fifth time coming here? <laughs> That's when I knew. I'm like, I got to change. Wow. So when you said that you were about to stab yourself and something stopped you, I just want to yeah. be a devil's advocate. People could interpret that as, oh, that's just a plea for help. Yeah, I think, I think it was too. I think at the end of the day, I was going through so much pain. Like that two-year period, everybody I met thought I was the most positive person. But when I went home, it was just like, it was torture. I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know? Like, what is going on? Like, you know, you try to be positive and nothing's working. So yeah, so it was a cry for help, but... 
I always tell people this, like, you can't be a victim to life. I had to start taking the steps to change my life. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you just said, that you're trying to be positive, but you're still, like, going down. That's called depression. That's what depression yes. is. It doesn't matter what happy, how happy. You could be watching uh, the funniest guy alive. I don't know, like Dave Chappelle. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You will still feel down because you are depressed. 100%. You know? Yeah. So you mentioned that you went to a psychologist. Why didn't you think that worked? It's boring. <laughs> like, does ask me dumb questions, you know? Okay, so tell us about yourself. Because the thing is, I read a lot of books, you know? So mm-hmm. when I'm talking to a psychologist, like, let's go, you know, I'm ready, you know? I'm not saying I'm better than them. It's just at the time when I was seeing the psychologist, when I was seeing the psychologist, she said, okay, this is uh, my student. She's practicing to be a psychologist. Yeah. So we're going to ask you a few questions. I was like, all right, let's do it, you know? I remember when I left the office, I'm like, I don't feel empowered at all. And at the time I was taking antidepressants, I stopped taking them by myself. Mm, okay. So after all those darkness that you went through, mm-hmm. yeah. what helped you come out from that? Meditation, 100%. Mm. Meditation and reading and listening to positive personal development stuff. Uh, but the first thing that worked was meditation. I did a Vipassana, Vipassana, however you want to pronounce it. It's a 10-day silent retreat. You don't talk for 10 days. That was the first part. And then after that, I did a Inner Engineering by Sadhguru. That was the second meditation I did. And ever since then, I've just been doing a lot of meditation and listening to a lot of positive stuff in my head when I'm walking, uh, reading books about personal growth. So I believe it was a, it was a combined effort mm-hmm. of everything, meditation and reading books. Who suggested the meditation? Uh, one of my friends I saw, he changed. Uh, he used to be crazy. Like he was successful, but crazy, crazy, crazy. And I remember looking at him one day and he was so calm, so zen, very successful, very rich, uh, beautiful family. And I was like, I want that, you know, just that peace of mind he has. So I asked him, Yo, dude, what did you do? I've seen you change your life. And he said, All right, I started to meditate. I was like, meditate? Uh, I do that too. He says, listen, you don't know how to meditate. You have to go get taught how to meditate. Going on YouTube or sitting down, that's not meditation room. You got to go do the real meditation. Mm. And that's how come I did Vipassana. And that 10-day retreat of no talking, where did you go? Mm-hmm. Uh, Montebello, right up. In, it's, uh, Vipassana is everywhere, but uh, in Quebec, it's in Montebello. Is it free? Yeah, it's free. Free. They don't charge. How do you sign up? Just go online, Vipassana, in your area. They'll find it. It's free. It, it was started by Gwenka, by Buddha, actually, many, many years ago. It's from India. It's all over the world. Vipassana is free all over the world. They, they feed you. You're there for 10 days. They take care of you. But it's, it's a very... I tell everybody this. If you're going to do Vipassana, make sure you're not in a good mind state, but it's very tough because for 10 days, you don't talk. You face every demon. You sit for one hour straight and you meditate eight hours a day it sounds fun women love it i don't know women love it men it, it can be challenging mm. you know so i tell everybody like everybody has to do it at least once you're gonna face a lot of stuff what do you mean face a lot of stuff yeah. well vipassana is pretty much mental surgery so a lot of people uh, struggle with change you know mm. well vipassana you go to the root cause of all this shit that you've experienced like you go to the root mm. so when i say the root like you put you pluck the root out and it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks and you got to get ready because but they'll train you when that happens what to do so you're not going to freak out you're not going to have a panic attack you just become aware that oh shit that's just an energy i have stuck in me trying to come up mm-hmm. and if you can face it and not react to it that's the work with vipassana how do they train you Ah, you got to go and see it. 
Okay. But it's, it's pretty much 10 days. They'll train you a step-by-step. Day one, you focus on your breath and your nose. Uh, day two, uh, day four, five, go from there. But the first time I did Vipassana, I left after five days because mm. I got too dark, too negative, too much stuff was coming up. I got a panic attack. I left at midnight. I told the guy, like, listen, I got to go. He's like, listen, no, because I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares. So too much stuff was clearly coming up. I was having the worst nightmares. I, I was even afraid to sleep. That's how bad it was. Wow. And I told the guy, like, listen, man, I got to go. He's like, why? I'm like, I'm experiencing all this thing. My heart's racing. I have anxiety. He's like, oh, it's working. Good. I'm like, it's not working, dude. I think I'm about to die. Like, I have to go. And I remember even like during the meditation, I was in so much pain mentally. I was like, I can't do this. But that's the work, you know? And then fortunately, the guy let me go because you can leave whenever you want. I left at midnight. There was snow, a snowstorm, took the snow off my car. I literally, like a prisoner, ran away from there. And then I went back. Wow. What made you come back? I had to. You come back. He even said, listen, man, the wound is open. It's going to take some time before it closes up. Now you're more more receptive to negativity. I got to go, man. Second time was April because that was December, first time I went. Then April, my friends wanted to go. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got to go back. My friends are going. I'm going to go. So so this time I went back. And when you're with your friends, you can't leave. Hmm. Because number one, one of them was giving me a ride back. So I'm like, even if I want to go, where am I going to go? So, <laughs> crap, I got to stay now. You got messed. You got fucked. Yeah, no choice. So, there are different kinds of meditation, right? There's some that mm-hmm. says, let the thoughts come in and let it come out. There's yeah. some that says, let your make your mind empty. Mm-hmm. Which one do you practice? I just let the thoughts come. There's so many though. It, it depends. Honestly, it depends. If I if I feel like I'm holding on to, t- okay, now I do Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation, which is a very, I say it's a little bit advanced, but very easy to do. Mm. So I always tell people with meditation, there's there's walking meditation, there's eating meditation, cleaning meditation, there's vipassana. You could sit still. So the one I'm doing right now, I do the chakra meditation every morning. Mm. That's what I do. And then I do another one where I just focus on the present moment. So it depends how I'm feeling. So I switch it up. Can you explain the chakra process? So chakra meditation is simple. Uh, we have energy centers in our body. So we have, we, have eight, we have eight chakras. So now each center has a, has a mind of its own. So someone might be like, what do you mean? For example, the first center is your center of creativity, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to be very creative, you go to that center. But if it's been knocked out of balance, for example, someone who's experienced sexual trauma, or someone who's overly sexed, you know, or any kind of trauma down there, they'll find they're not as creative as they should be. The second energy center is the one that's responsible for holding on to guilt, shame, lack, victimization. So you find people trying to be positive to change. But when that center is activated, you feel more safe in your environment, you know, meaning meaning it helps you overcome uh, certain things. Mm. The third center is for willpower. So that one's actually for people who have a lot of ego issues, control issues, or you find people say, I just don't have the motivation, you know? And then if you go up, there's the heart, the heart chakra, the throat, pineal gland, there's the seventh one here on the front of the forehead and the car at the top, right? Mm. So if you could start to bless those energy centers, it helps, uh, number one, raise the energy of your body. So what I mean is a lot of people might say, what does that mean? If you bless each of those centers, you might notice your state starts to change. So you might feel... You've ever had those days when you just feel good and things just happen, Mm -hmm. right? Now, a lot of us wait for something external to happen. Hey, here's a million dollars. Oh, my God, your state has changed. But what if you could change that internally? Some people say, I need a beer to change my state, right? Or I need something out there to happen. Now, what happens is that if you keep 
if, if, you, if you don't master your energy, all these centers get knocked out of balance. So you find you can, you can get the thing you want. You can get the job you want. You can get, you can get the mortgage. But instead of paying off the mortgage in, instead of um, paying off the mortgage in 30 years, if you raise your energy, you might get a good idea and you might pay off the mortgage in one year. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you get the first energy center, they always say men have two brains, one up here, one down there, right? <laughs> get it? But that's energy, right? If that center is activated and you bless it to lo- you, you, you bless it back to life and you start to raise the energy up there, you might notice your creativity. Yeah, it's called better. Viagra. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That works too. You know, so that one's gonna raise your creativity. If you go to the second energy center, if you've been holding, if you've been holding on to victimization because something happened to you in the past and you can't overcome that situation there, if you could bless this center for I'll say for about a month or a couple of weeks, some people do it right away, you might notice you're more courageous in taking action. You know, you're not holding on to the pain from the past. Mm. The third center is when people say, I have no willpower to move forward. If you could start to bless that center every single day, you do the meditation, do the work, you might notice, okay, somehow I have motivation to do stuff. Um, How come I'm attracting things into my life? Where are these ideas coming from? It's because your energy is flowing up and down. How do you bless it? Uh, There's a meditation by Dr. Joe Dispenza. You'd have to... Dr. Joe Dispenza's work is very different. You have to study his work, number one. And Dr. Joe, long story short, he's a man who he healed himself and people who've had like stage four cancer. Like, okay, listen, bro, you're going to die tomorrow. Mm. So um, you're going to die in a week because medical professionals failed you. And this has been proven. They'll go do Dr. Joe's work and they'll get cured, done Ooh. by themselves, no, nothing. But when Dr. Joe said to do that, because first he healed himself. And then he said, do what do you mean healed said, himself? What is, so oh, he was is in a, Wolverine. Pretty much, yeah. So he, he, was, he was riding his bike one time. He was doing like a Tour de France, a lot riding his bike. Mm. He got into an accident and he broke his spine in, uh, I think it's T4, T5, but broke it, shattered. Like you can never walk again. Done, game over. And he was already, a, 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 what's he called this? A physiotherapist. He was, he was already practicing medicine and stuff. Mm. So they told him, like, look, you can never walk again as long as you live. You can never walk again. The best we could do for you is maybe do surgery to put you in a wheelchair. Hmm. And he even said, because he knew what happened. You know, he knew, he knew how the body worked. He was, a, he was a physiotherapist. He looked at his x-ray. He even said, I can never walk again. This is humanly impossible. But he, he, always, he had always been fascinated with how the human body works. So despite all his friends, professionals telling him, listen, man, you have got to do the surgery. He said, no. He said, no, 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 I'm going to try something for the next eight, for the next, I don't know, three months, I'm going to try something, okay? But you're never going to walk again. And he used to lay on his hospital bed, and he used to picture himself walking again. Mm. And he used to, like, by himself, no one taught him how to do it. He was just trying different things, you know? Fast forward, within six weeks, his spine healed itself, which was impossible. His spine healed itself, and the medical, uh, the reports out there. And he was able to walk, he was was using a, a cane, and he had a full recovery, he was back to normal. So he started to study because he made a promise with God or life, whatever was there. He says, listen, if I heal myself from this, I'll spend the rest of my life figuring out how I did it. Mm. And now it's been like 20 years he's been doing this. People come to him saying, I'm blind. The blind can see again at his seminars. Uh, people in wheelchairs are walking. People with diseases that, that science has said, there's no cure for you. It's humanly impossible. Are getting healed. Now, even the science field who are laughing at him first are now coming to his events saying, okay, dude, what are you doing? Because four of my patients who I gave up on miraculously healed themselves in one sitting. What do you do? So he's pretty much teaching us what we know to do. People say you can heal yourself. How do you do it? So he's teaching people how to heal themselves without any pill, without 
having to go see a doctor. Of course, doctors are expected. You can do that. But if the medical profession fails you, his meditations have been proven. People who had um, men who are sterile, like you can never have kids again. They do the work. Now they have kids. Women who are told, you're 60, you can never have a baby again. Has a baby at 60. So it's through the power of meditation? Meditation, you go into the quantum field. It's like it's, 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 it's combined with quantum physics, you know? So it's a meditation where you go into the quantum. Like people have literally have left this meditation and said somehow $500,000 got deposited in my bank account. It's, and they have the proof, like, there, there's the deposit. I was working with a guy, and for fun, I was like, okay, can I attract abundance of money? Okay, let's go, do the work. And there's a formula he teaches you how to do. Mm. And if you can follow the formula, like, people have literally gone in front and say, there, half a million dollars was put in my bank account. A woman one time was visualizing money because she wanted money. True story. She goes to an ATM, <laughs> and money, I'm not kidding, starts coming out ATM for no reason. And she goes, what the hell? And she knew, and here's what's crazy. She felt so abundant that even though the money was falling out the ATM machine, she didn't even pick up a penny. And she went home. And she knew, I don't know what I did, but this Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, I, I locked into a frequency that I am so abundant that the ATM had a, it malfunctioned right there as they were just dropping $100 bills. And there's so many more stories could go forever. Some people could call that voodoo, you know what I mean? The ones who are sleeping, yeah, the awakened ones like ourselves, I say, yeah, that's what Jesus was teaching back in the day. Jesus wasn't, to me, Jesus was like the guy who came to show us that, hey, you have the power to have, be, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But some people call that voodoo, 100%. Also, how would you say, it could be dangerous too, because if a person, let's say, has stage four cancer, mm -hmm. right, instead of going to a doctor, yeah. that person will go to doctor, what's his name, sorry? Dr. Joe Dispenza. Joe Dispenza and say, hey, cure mm -hmm. me. People could No, he doesn't cure you. Because what happens, those people who went to him are the ones that the medical profession failed. Like, we don't know what to do. Mm. And this person, like, I'm talking to you now, just happened here about a Dr. Joe Dispenza and someone spoke about being cured of cancer. And they go like, okay, I got nothing to lose. Let me go. So when you're doing his meditation, he doesn't, he doesn't touch you. There's like 2,000 people there, by the way. So he doesn't even know who you are. He just teaches you how to do it. It's a week-long retreat. Mm -hmm. You stay in the meditation and it's teaching you step-by-step step how to raise your energy, how to feel whatever it is you want, you know? And people have left this retreat saying, my spine was like this since I was a baby and now it's aligned. What happened? That's why now his work, it's like, I'm talking about it and you're gonna probably research who is this Dr. Joe guy. And his work is just spreading like that right now. Is it free? Mm, to go for the, uh, online is free, but to go for the retreats, no, it's not free for the retreats. You gotta pay for those. Well, why why do I need to go pay if I can get it for free online? Because if I give you something for free, for me, I actually told my friend what he charges for his work is like giveaway, you know? Because you know how human beings are. If I give you this for free, it has no value. So, but when you pay, it's only $2,000 too, huh? There's not like VIP, it's literally two grand. You go, you sit in the meditation, you learn the work. He teaches you everything you got to learn. It's a week long though. It's a week long of teaching and teaching and teaching. And yeah, just go from there. People have seen stuff happen. I'm like, I've done his work and stuff has happened before at home. I'm like, how did that happen? Mm. I mean, $2,000 for you with a rich family is easy, but some people can't afford $2,000. You'd be, you'd be amazed. I've seen people who through his work, 
came in as skeptics as a guy who's of anxiety attacks he came in as a, as a huge skeptic mm. like he hated dr joe but he's like i need something let me go try this he says let me go try this scam artist meditation <laughs> day three the guy was in his hotel room no no anxiety attack every day he gets three anxiety attacks mm. day four no anxiety attack day five day six day seven Two months later, zero anxiety attacks. Mm. And that's why when people say, who's Dr. Joy? I say, you got to look up his work. I mean, yeah, anxiety attack could be, quote unquote, cured through meditation, whatever else yeah. you have to do. But we're talk- if we start talking about cancer or blindness, that's a different yeah. situation. Very different. That's why when he started, a lot of people started writing articles about him. Oh, you're fake. You got to stop. And he almost quit doing what he was doing. And then as you can study his work, he, tell, he talks about what happened. He had a mystical moment and stuff like that. Because he even says, he's like, he was a doctor. So he says, he's even says. Like a medical doctor? Like, yeah, like he studied, med- he studied medicine. Like, so he, he even says, I encourage my patients, go see a doctor. Mm. So the ones he gets are the ones who, like, for example, yourself today, God forbid you got cancer and your doctor says, listen, man, you have one month left to live. You're stage four. We don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. We're giving you chemo. It's not working. We're giving you pills. It's not working. Go try this Dr. Joe Dispenza guy. So those are the people he gets, the worst of the worst. All right, let's do the work. Sit down for meditation. Let's go. And it guides you through it and you, you heal yourself. Mm. And how long have you been yeah. studying him? Two years now. Two years. Yeah, because I saw stuff happen in my life that I couldn't explain. Then I knew, like, okay, this guy is on to something. Yeah, that's what keep on keep you going. Something because stuff, stuff happens. It's like a mystical thing happens. You're like, what? That happened? Okay, clearly this guy's work. Like is, what? <laughs> clients pop out of nowhere. Business just went up out of nowhere one day. I'm sitting at home. Business takes off. Uh, attract people into my business. Clients come into my business. Attract friendships, uh, relationships, that kind of stuff. Positive ones. Yeah, but like they came like that. Not, not like three months. I'm talking, you come out to meditation, take your phone. Whoa, that was fast. You know what I mean? Like pretty much I'll get a text from someone that takes me two, three months to get. But out of nowhere, you come out to meditation. Hey, listen, I've been looking through your profile for the last two months. I need your help with this, this, this. And you're like, coincidence? But when you have so many of them happen, synchronicities, you go like, I did something to make that happen. Yeah, you're, you're right there. Uh, I want to talk about something else. Um, you mentioned about gratitude. Yeah. How important is feeling gratefulness to you? It's everything. I believe there's intellectual gratitude and there's heartfelt gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we're programmed to be thankful, just thank you, thank you, but not go within. So I realized back, this is like last month, I stopped being grateful or, or if I did it was before I go to bed, I'd be like, Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Off to bed. Nothing happens. But when I took the time, no matter how tired I was, because I believe this power, God, life, universe, it sees your effort. It's a loving intelligence, whatever you want to call it. It sees your effort, you know, no matter how tired you are, but I'd really go into a heartfelt gratitude. So for example, today I could be like, thank you for the podcast. And I'll give my reasons why in my head. Right. But then I go within and really feel that gratitude. I believe gratitude can cure you of whatever you want, whatever you're going through, Gratitude can can cure everything. Easy. So I believe people should practice real gratitude more. How? Teach them. Uh, go heart center. So when you're grateful, for example, with Dr. Joe's work, uh, they did the study. They got the blood from some people. If you practice real gratitude, it's going to increase your IGF levels in three days by over 50%. When your IGF levels are up, What's that's, IGF? that's um, 
immune insulin i forget the abbreviation okay. but it's your own it's your body's uh, immune system it, you pretty much you raise your immune system mm. so people when they start to practice gratitude number one is it's going to help boost up the immune system they've done the studies everybody knows about that now but number two i believe it connects you to source to god whatever it is you know but real gratitude where's the next it gets you emotional mm. i always say gratitude should be emotional you know you don't have to cry but you want to feel a shift in your energy you know because if you do gratitude and you feel angry after nothing happened mm. you know but if i could sit here with this tea and really be like I'm grateful for this tea. Why? Because I know a kid in Africa who doesn't have this kind of cup. <laughs> Trust me. And I feel that this power knows. Yeah, you're right. And guess what? You think that's cool? Watch this. I'll give you more. Mm. That's why I believe it works. It is. I, I, that's, I learned that a few years ago that to be grateful is the key to happiness. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yes. Like yeah, Tony Robbins says, you can't be angry and grateful at the same time. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But... Do you meditate every day or how do, how's your process? Now, because of COVID, thing, I was going to say thank God for COVID, but I think COVID is a blessing. Every morning I get up now, I meditate. Every, every morning I get up, I meditate now. It's hard because I, I do an hour-long meditation, Dr. Joe's work. Hour-long. Yeah, and it's, that's why I say Dr. Joe's work is very powerful, but it really it, it pushes you out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. you know? So we're used to five minutes. I go an hour long every day. I sit up, I go do my meditation every morning. Is it a hour. moving meditation or? Oh, no, you, you sit still. Like you sit still and you don't move. You just focus on those energy centers. Sometimes I go to the quantum field. Like I'll focus on the thing that I want to create, that kind of stuff. Mm. Have you tried drugs? Drugs? <laughs> Never. Oh, let's go weed a drug. Well, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> Now, I did mushrooms once, like eight years ago. That was about it. And how do you compare that to your meditation? Uh, well, when I did the mushrooms, I didn't know what I was doing. I took five grams of mushrooms. You see what I mean? I didn't know. It was my first time. My, my, my friend who was, at the time was a drug dealer. Well, he, wasn't, he actually wasn't a drug dealer. He just had the mushrooms. Mm. I got like, here, dude, I never tried mushrooms before. He's like, I got you. Here you go. I'm like, how many do I take? And back then I was like, I was bigger, you know, I was really, I was like 220 pounds. Now I'm like 180. Yeah, I'm like 180, 190 now. Looks at me, he goes, you're a big guy. I just take five grams. Oh yeah, just take five grams. Put it on the pizza, five grams of mushrooms. Did you see God? <sighs> probably. If someone said, see God, I probably, see. I was so, I, I've never been so high in my life. <laughs> That's why I don't do mushrooms no more. I, I would do them again, but I'd be very careful. Mm. I was tripping out. Yeah. So, I don't know if you'd mind me asking, do you still smoke weed? No, nah, I'm not a weed. I, I smoked so much weed from Ottawa until I moved to Montreal that I think I smoked enough to last me a lifetime. <laughs> I smoked so much weed. Like, every day I was smoking, like, seven grams a day on average. Mm. Yeah, so, like, now I, I could smoke it, but I don't see the point anymore because... Uh, it's funny, I was watching uh, Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. Hmm. He was saying something the other day. He actually quit smoking weed for six months and nobody knew. Hmm. And I remember I was like, Nipsey Hussle stopped smoking weed? But that's stuff you never see on TV. Like, I saw the interview. He's like, yeah, when I was getting all these calls from these big offices, executives, Puma, I started realizing that they're watching me online. If they meet me and I'm high, these rich white folks don't might not want to do business with me because of this. So for six months, he stopped smoking weed. Hmm. I was like... If that guy could stop smoking weed, heck, thank God I stopped. So, so that's why I, I, I really, like, if, if someone right now offered me a joint, I'll say no. So you're completely sober? 
Not completely. Like for me to smoke, it's 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 a special occasion for me to smoke. Mm. Do you drink? Like, it has like mm, here and there. I'm not a drinker, but if you give me a beer now, I'll drink, I'll drink one. Mm. So I think we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any topics that would you like to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, just I think people should start to if they want to change their life is just um, know, know that you're programmed. And when I say programmed, there's this little demon you know as a paradigm. A paradigm is something you do habitually. I learned that from Bob Proctor. And all your habits are habitual, meaning you do them without even thinking. Mm. How you get up in the morning is a program. So you get up in the morning. This might sound silly. I told a friend. But when you get up in the morning, your right leg probably touches the floor first. Your left leg. It's every day. When you go to the bathroom, you probably take 10 steps to get to the bathroom. When you brush your teeth, use your right hand, wash your face. See, it's a program. But it's not bad. Mm. But there's a lot of things we do in our life, little habits that are in that program as well. So I believe if people could start to ask the question, do I like how my life is going right now? No, I don't like how my life is going right now. Okay, good. Have you tried to change it? Yes. And we guess you're being positive. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you're not being very positive because <laughs> nothing's changing. <laughs> you're probably being more negative, you know? So I tell people is, um, you know, I, pure consciousness is being aware of how you think, feel, act, and talk. So just being aware that, Look, if nothing's changed in the last two years, it means nothing about you has changed. Clearly, the positive thinking is not working. You have to maybe get uncomfortable a little bit, start to take action that's going to scare you a little bit. And it will be scary, you know. Even myself today, I'm, every day I'm battling change. I'm careful of the inner chatter in my brain, you know, which is a struggle because in the beginning it was the word and that's all in the Bible, you know. So I believe that's a metaphor for be careful what you say because they did a study, you know, there's a guy on... Um, Tom Bilio's impact theory I watched, he said, whenever people say something uh, vocally, uh, say it out loud, there's a 50% chance it's going to happen. And they did a study where they're telling stories and I'm like, he's right. So even if you have a bad feeling or hunch about something, I'm not saying don't express it, but just be careful what you where you place your energy, you know? Hmm. So I tell anybody right now, if you really want to change, you want to get a paper and write one habit you want to develop for the next 30 days, it's going to help you become a better person. So maybe it's when you wake up in the morning, you want to do five push-ups. Just do it just to break the program. You know, hmm. it's just something to make you be aware that, holy crap, usually at 9, 9 a.m. I'm doing this, this happens, this happens. Because at the end of January, I told myself and everybody this, we could probably look at your bank account statement or your relationships or this be exactly the same. Hmm. At the end of 2021, we could probably look at your life. It would probably be the same. 2022, nothing would change. Hmm. When the change comes, it's because something traumatic happened, maybe. Something that really shook you. Like, okay, it's time for me to change, hmm. you know? So even myself, too, I told people, like, I'm not perfect. Like, every day I'm battling change. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very lazy person. I know it already. You know, I like to chill. <laughs> but every day I'm battling change, you know? Just saying, okay, this is me. And it's going to take some time for me to change. But... I'm doing it slowly, you know, wake up in the morning, meditate, gratitude, read. Okay, next month, February, I'll do something a little bit different. Meditate, gratitude, read, add something else to it. And then slowly it's going to become who I am. Yeah, incremental changes. Yeah, exactly. I like that you idea. Do too much, you crash. Hmm? Exactly. Do, so if you do too much, you crash. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't think that you're going to scale the Mount Everest in one yeah, day. Exactly. It's not going to happen, homie. Nah. You're going to crash, you know? You know, I, I like 100%. that idea that like, okay, pretty much one day at a time. One day at a time. And I believe people should set little goals. What do I want to do in the morning when I wake up, you know? Do I want to brush my teeth with my left hand? It's going to be weird. And guess what? That's how change is weird. If you use your left hand to brush your teeth. Do that for seven days. It's going to make you conscious. 
okay, for the next seven days, I'll make a conscious decision to only use my left hand when I'm eating, when I'm drinking. Those little tricks make you just become more aware, like, wait a minute, what did I do today? Holy crap, I did the same thing I did yesterday. Hmm. Because 95% of who you are today is who you were yesterday. You're only 5% conscious. Only 5% of you is conscious today. So if you could just start left hand this, left hand this, left hand that, and know that it's going to get uncomfortable. By day number two or three, the program comes back and says, yo, bro, what are you doing? No, 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 right hand. Let's go back to who we were. <laughs> then you realize, shit, to change is going to take some work, you know? It is a lot of work. That's why a lot of people fail. Mm -hmm. Like a good example is for you, like you being a fitness coach. I'm pretty sure you have had clients that have failed and succeeded, oh, obviously. Oh, my God. Yeah, a, a, a lot of them. Yeah, like I've had, I've had like a lot of people as well who failed. Even myself too. I've failed. Not failed. I've just done stuff that's helped me grow to become a better person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. let's put it that way. I've done stuff that's helped me to become a better person. Because I don't believe in failure. I just believe you try it, didn't work, try again. I like that. Yeah, exactly. You seem to read a lot of books. And other than the doctor, the doctor's book, are you reading anything else? Um, Tony Robbins, I'm reading. Actually, I haven't read him for a while. I should, I should read him tonight. Uh, Tony, Rob, Tony Robbins and Dr. Joe right now, you know? Because I believe... Uh, I used to be the guy that would read a lot of books to to be smart. And then Sadhguru the other day said, see, a lot of people are going to, before they go for, for um, lunch or dinner with their friends, they're going to Google, oh, how many planets are there? Oh, my God, there's 10 of them. And they're going to go to dinner to their friends. Do you know there's 10 planets? Just to be smart. <laughs> You know, but that's it. So I was like, man, that, that used to be me buying all these books, reading them, mm. but nothing was changing. Nothing tangible was changing. Mm. So I remember Bob Proctor said, he's like, what well, program to go to school, gather all the information here, take a test, and that means you're smart. And then I was like, yeah. But then he said, learning is when you can entertain one idea, get emotionally involved with it, take action, change the result. And then Bob said, he's been reading that book, Think and Grow Age, for the last 60 years. Mm. And he says sometimes he can read a book for, for five months. And I was like, if Bob Proctor could read a book for five months, who the hell am I to read a book in 30 days? Then, I, then I, one of my friends said, well, I could do that. And then a voice in my head said, everybody is different. Hmm. Some people just are quick. Some people are slower. So one of my friends always says, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. So I knew, okay, my weakness is not, my weakness is I, I can't retain a lot of information fast but I'm good at analyzing things. I can give me a, a page. I could analyze that, that for a month and break it down in so many ways, you know? So I realized, okay, my strength is not accumulating information. It's reading slower, understanding when I'm reading these books. And that's how it is now. I read one book a month, two books a month now, average. Yeah, that's amazing. And you only yeah. read specific genre or it varies? Uh, it has to be something to change me. Not, I, I, no, no offense, people that read fiction books. I'm just not a big fan of fiction. I think it's boring. Mm. But if some people like that, you know. I just read stuff that's going to help me to become better. How can I uh, change the energy in my body? Okay, I believe there's many ways. You can go for a run, go for a jog. Or now, when what could I do? I can't go outside. Well, meditate. Go within. Yeah. The hardest part, though. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. I told people this, like when you start to really meditate, by, I've never met anyone that's been consistent for 30 days straight. Never, mm -hmm. never, never, never. Maybe one or two, you know, 30 days straight, the program kicks in. This morning I woke up, I was like, it's 8 and 7 a.m. I got to meditate. I don't want to. 
Uh, and then I was aware that's the program. Mm. And guess what? That was the best meditation I've ever had. It's awesome because you push yourself and you make it work. Yeah. And then I got an insight too. I was like, wait, what was that I felt? And I did some research. I'm like, thank God I did the meditation today. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. So I think we're there. But do you have any last remarks for the listeners? Oh. <laughs> Start to read. If you hate reading, um, Surround yourself with positive people. If you have no friends, just start playing something positive in the background nonstop. Stop playing music for the next seven days, 14 days. If your life sucks that much. If you're going through depression and you, you can't go do Vipassana, just play something positive in the background or reach out to someone and get help. That's what I always say, you know? I believe help is only a call away. You know, for myself, if I'd gone through with it, clearly I wouldn't be here today. And I reached out, I got help. I reached out to somebody and it, the person helped me and I'm here today. Mm. wise word from a wise man again Rome thank, you, thank you for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it for sure man thank you for having me man have a good evening bye 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 again Rome thank you for coming on the podcast I really do appreciate it thank you listeners for continued listening this is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life I'll see you guys later <laughs>